Hello and welcome to my episode of series 2 of Who Came Before. In this episode, I am going to be telling you about Florence Margaret Beaumont, a suffrage leader who I first came across through the wonderful research from the Forgotten Women of Wakefield, the name of a mission from Dreamtime Creative. This organisation is striving for blue plaque parity in Wakefield for historical women of note who have not seen the attention their legacies deserve as a consequence of being dismissed as women in the writing of historical narratives that favour men. There are numerous blue plaques across the UK which are displayed in significant public places to explain to members of the public the link between a specific site and a historical figure of note. However, a disproportionate amount belong to men. Blue plaque parity is the striving for an equal amount of plaques for women as there are for men. The fact that this project is necessary, that women's stories have to be discovered as if they are some elusive and ancient mystery, rather than them already being well known and another part of our historical narratives, for me emphasises the importance of considering whose history is being told and who is setting the agenda on who is considered worthy of going down in history. I think it is also important to acknowledge that Florence, albeit marginalised as a woman, was still a privileged woman, for example, in terms of class, race and not being disabled. It seems that women throughout history who have existed with further marginalised identities are even more hidden from the historical narrative. It was certainly a difficult decision to choose just one woman to discuss in my podcast episode, and so I would encourage anyone listening to this podcast to look into the Forgotten Women of Wakefield, if you are not already familiar with their work, in order to learn about the other stories of inspiring women that they are sharing with us. In particular, you can listen to the episode from Series 1 of Who Came Before by Tony Stevenson on Lady Catherine Milnes Gaskill. Before we delve into the life of Florence Beaumont, I thought it would be useful to provide you with some background knowledge on the movement for women's rights. The journey for women achieving the right to vote was a long one. British women achieved the vote on the same terms as men in 1928. In comparison to many other so-called progressive countries, Britain granting all women's suffrage came somewhat late. For instance, the 19th Amendment granted American women the right to vote in 1920, whilst in Austria and Germany it was 1918 and New Zealand in 1893. That is to say, Britain was behind other Western countries, with the surprising exception of Switzerland, who only granted women the vote in 1971. This was arguably a consequence of the country's direct democracy, meaning that a majority of men had to approve giving women the right to vote. Though not achieved through direct democracy, women in Britain had this similar problem of depending on the sympathies of men to be granted equal franchise. As is the theme throughout history, the marginalised or oppressed have to beseech those holding the power in order to be able to improve their situations. British women were first granted the vote in 1918 after the First World War. The narrative is commonly that this was a reward for women's contributions in the munitions factories, yet when we take a closer look at the details, this explanation doesn't really add up. In 1918, only some women were given the vote. Particularly, these were women over the age of 30 who owned property or had a husband who did. It would be another 10 years for women to achieve the right to vote on the same terms as men. Interestingly, the Forgotten Women of Wakefield began embarking on blue plaque parity upon the centenary of 1918 and are striving to achieve the same amount of blue plaques as there exists for men in Wakefield by 2028. 
Another thing worth knowing about the movement for women's suffrage is the distinction between suffragists and suffragettes. You have likely heard of the Pankhursts, Emmeline and her daughters. The Pankhursts were suffragettes who employed militancy, such as arson and bombing, to further their agenda for women's suffrage. Their famous motto being deeds not words. Emmeline founded the WSPU, the Women's Social and Political Union. On the other hand, suffragists, such as Millicent Fawcett, used peaceful tactics such as lobbying the government in order to achieve suffrage for women. In 1897, Millicent united the National Central Society for Women's Suffrage with the Central Committee of the National Society for Women's Suffrage to form the National Union of Women's Suffrage Societies, or the NUWSS. Concerning the subject of this episode, Florence Bowman was firmly a suffragist, believing in the right to vote for women since at least the age of 14 when, According to her obituary, she claimed that women being able to vote was the most important reform that was needed in society. It seems that she was determined for female suffrage to come about through peaceful means. Her nephew Nigel Beaumont remarked in his biography that she saw no need for unseemly behaviour as was employed by the suffragettes, such as chaining oneself to railings or setting things on fire. Florence was born on the 17th of June 1876 in Wakefield and attended Wakefield Girls High School. She gained a place at Newham College, Cambridge, but gave up her studies to support her father upon her mother's death. It would seem that it is unlikely that this was due to her father's insistence, as he perceived education to be something important for both men and women. Instead, It was likely Florence's sense of familial duty which influenced her decision and she went on to prove what can be achieved when a person is passionate about something and has a high level of determination regardless of whether or not one is in possession of a university degree. However, it is also worth noting that Florence was privileged in terms of her education, having had the opportunity to attend Cambridge in the first place and had been educated at a private school. In addition, her class status meant that she had the time to dedicate to her education and then to the suffrage movement as she didn't have to work to put food on the table. One of her most notable achievements in terms of the fight for women's suffrage is leading over 6,000 people on a march to London in 1913 as part of the Great Pilgrimage to London. Florence's section of the march was just one of a total of six marches that made their way to London from various locations across the UK. Her section of the march had come from Newcastle and gone on to Leeds before Florence headed it from Outwood. The event was organised in meticulous detail to ensure that all participating were accounted for and the march welcomed everyone who wanted to join for as long as they were able to commit to. The marchers were responding to Millicent Fawcett's instructions and marched to deliver a petition to the government demanding equal franchise. This was a result of Prime Minister Herbert Asquith, who historians have found to be someone who opposed granting women the vote, when he issued a direct challenge to Millicent Fawcett, defying her to prove whether or not women actually wanted to vote. An estimated 50,000 attended the ensuing rally in Hyde Park. Florence used myriad other ways to strive for women's suffrage and to better the lives of women. She founded Wakefield's branch of the suffrage movement in 1910 in her own drawing room, where she took up the role of secretary. She was the treasurer of the Yorkshire Suffrage Federation from 1913. 
She wrote numerous letters to newspapers, both in Wakefield and subsequently in newspapers nationally, eloquently dismissing the arguments cited against women's suffrage. She also wrote for the Common Cause, which was the newspaper for the NUWSS, published from 1909 to 1920. It was released weekly and helped members of the NUWSS across the country keep informed about the goings-on of the different branches of the society. She worked with various organisations that strove in pursuit of equality throughout the rest of her life, such as the Open Door Council and the Equal Political Rights Campaign Committee. Her ultimate contribution to the cause was to represent women at the League of Nations just before her sudden death in 1929, a year after she had seen women achieve the vote on the same terms as men. In this role, she represented women's groups who were lobbying for women's suffrage to be recognised at the League of Nations. Florence was also not solely concerned with women's suffrage and had an active role in shaping her community. She supported the temperance movement, which campaigns against the consumption of alcohol. She also worked prominently in theatre, running her own theatre company which put on both plays and musicals in the Wakefield Royal and the Corn Exchange. She took on the roles of actor, producer and director. Money from her productions were donated to good causes. It seems that she influenced the cultural arena in this sense as much as the political one. Florence also used her skills and determination to support other causes that caught her attention, such as raising funds and goods for victims of war. She continued to use her eloquent writing to appeal to newspapers for the war effort, whilst at the same time pursuing franchise for women. She became more active in the war effort after 1917 when she lost her father. After going to Edinburgh to attend a training course in nursing, she was posted in Ripon, North Yorkshire. She became superintendent of the Queen Mary's Army Auxiliary Corps Nurses. She later became administrator for the Women's Army Auxiliary Corps. When her brother returned home after the war, Florence moved to London to be better able to pursue female suffrage. It certainly seems that Florence had a vibrant character, which perhaps made her both inclined to support women's suffrage, as well as giving her the tools to do so. She has been described as both intelligent and witty, traits she used in both her verbal and written communications. Florence was an independent thinker, willing to use her own judgment and act in the way she determined was sensible, regardless of the dictates as to what was socially acceptable. For instance, against social norms, she was a bicycle rider and wore pantaloons instead of the inconvenient skirt that society's fashions dictated. She would especially set aside the norm if she saw it as producing something unkind or illogical. It would seem that this attitude enabled her to campaign for female franchise as she saw that even though it was against precedent, it was illogical to deny women the vote. In 1922, she gave a speech at the summer school of the National Union of Societies for Equal Citizenship. In response to the limited terms of enfranchising women given in 1918, she claimed that half a loaf was better than no bread, but ultimately argued it made no sense to limit the giving of women the vote in such an arbitrary way. She challenged what appeared to be the reason for this limitation, that conservatively-minded men were in fear of what would happen if women were given the vote. She also recognised that the progress thus far excluded women who were less well-off financially, since those who didn't hold property were excluded from the electorate. It seems that she didn't crave political power or status, and in fact abhorred public speaking, but held leadership positions because of her conviction in achieving the vote for women. 
Rather than seeking leadership positions for herself, it seems that Florence saw them as means to attain the moral issue of women having the right to vote. Most likely, Florence would have achieved even more incredible things if she had not passed away relatively young. However, rather than speculating on what could have been, we can celebrate all that she did achieve in the time she was alive. The forgotten women of Wakefield have thankfully revived Florence's memory, meaning that her legacy will not be smothered in the pages and pages and pages of history about men. Thanks to the hard work of the Forgotten Women of Wakefield, a building in Wakefield City Centre has been repurposed for the city's college and has been renamed after Florence, now called Beaumont Building. She lived in the building that was just behind where Beaumont Building is now. Florence and many other women strove to achieve the right to vote for women, an achievement that carries the enduring legacy of giving all women the opportunity to use their vote and their voices to pursue what they believe in. Today, Florence's value system can inspire us still to question the things we take for granted. Rather than blindly accepting something, whether it's because it is the way that it is or has always been done, or because it is what is dictated to be acceptable by social norms, we can wonder whether there is actually any merit in the mainstream way of thinking and doing things. I think Florence can inspire us to live our own lives in our own way and not be confined by the society we live in. For me, Florence reminds us of the danger of blindly remaining in line with societal norms and accepting the way things are without question, and how necessary it is to have people who are brave enough to use their independent thought to question whether how things are are in fact the way that they should be. Hello and welcome. My name's Amy Winder and I'm the producer of Who Came Before and I'm here with Lauren to discuss the process of writing her episode. Hi Lauren, how are you doing? Hi, I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm doing great. So if we just dive straight into the questions. Yeah, fire away. Um, so I want to know a bit more about your connection to the figure. Um, had you heard about her before you wrote your episode? No, I hadn't actually. Um, I knew quite a bit about um, the suffragettes, the suffragettes, um, and about the movement for women achieving the right to vote um, through my A-level history coursework, but I hadn't particularly um, heard of Florence before. That's really cool. So is your relationship with activism a more historical um, relationship, or is there any activism you do in your day-to-day life or are interested in? I think I always find it difficult to define Um, or like qualify being an activist so yes I sign petitions for Greenpeace (laughs) and uh, that's I do think um, activism for me is the sense of having those conversations with people in your life so if you have a friend or a family member who says something that's a bit questionable just like calling them in and being like look like this is maybe how you could have worded that better that I do try and do because I think that's important because I think normalizing like microaggressions is not okay and it's still um something that we can address um but yeah I do think that um my connection to history my interest in history is about looking at um learning from it really so like to me history is useful in the sense that we can look back on what has happened before and we can not repeat the mistakes of the past and we can also maybe look at 
um like social history how you know once it was considered completely insane for women to be able to vote and now it's like of course they should be able to vote well we should be able to vote everyone should be able to vote um and I do think that some of the things in society now that you know people think are absurd we will in the future we'll look back on it and think it's crazy that we once thought this way um so yeah I'm kind of interested as well in how um like the processes that women um, and other men who believed in women having the vote that they um, used in order to gain the vote and how like effective they were and how those methods can be used in the present to achieve um, things and lobby the government with things that people are happy with now. Absolutely. I think history has got so much power in what you can learn from it and what you can choose to do with it. So a bit more now about the process of writing your episode. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you find researching for it? Was that difficult? I think it was quite straightforward because um, I was really fortunate in that I had all the resources from the Forgotten Women of Wakefield, like all there, all laid out. And it was just a case of kind of like more arranging it and kind of um, maybe following up something that was briefly mentioned um, and using like my existing historical knowledge and yeah kind of piecing it together like I said and ordering things um, that was kind of maybe more challenging than the research itself um, because yeah the website for the Forgotten Women of Wakefield is really cool and it's got um, really accessible information which is great so that made my job a lot easier. (laughs) Yeah, it's such a good project. Um, and in terms of history itself, is the, I know that's something you studied at A-level. Is that something that you um, do in the rest of your life as well? Yeah, so um, I study as part of my degree program. Um, so that's been pretty cool. I did a pretty cool module um, in second year. Um, it was called Feeling Politics and it was about emotions throughout 20th century Britain and, you know, kind of what emotions are acceptable um, to express how like in world war Two, it's kind of like keep calm and carry on and it was like nobody cries you're not allowed you've just got to get on with life no matter how bad it gets um and then how later on um in the 80s when there was like women's liberation and gay rights campaigns how it got more passionate and things like that that was pretty interesting neat um so a final slightly more silly question um <laughs> If you could spend an entire day with Florence Beaumont, what do you think you'd do and do you think you'd get on? Yeah, I think we'd get on. I think um, it would be cool. I mean, it'd be interesting where in time we're spending this day because I think at the minute, I think she'd be really excited about the progress that women has made. And I wonder, I don't think that would still be enough for her because I do think that feminism is still important. It's still necessary now. And I like to think that she would have an appreciation of how important intersectional feminism is that, you know, because, um, as like she's a white woman, I'm a white woman, we carry a lot of privilege compared to, for example, women of colour and other women of marginalised identities. So I feel like we'd have a lot to talk about. Um, I think, you know, for a fun side of things, we could go cycling together. Sheila was a cyclist. I think that would be fun. And I think she'd like that she could get equipped up in cycling gear and not have to be bothered and not really care that she didn't have to wear. No one would be complaining that she won't wear a skirt now. <laughs> you get to find out about like for her. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. That sounds amazing. Um, So thank you very much for writing the episode and coming to talk to me. It's been so interesting to learn about a new figure. 
if there's anywhere that our listeners can go to find more of your work, then I'd absolutely love to hear it. Excellent. Thank you for having me. I've really enjoyed the process of this podcast. Um, so I wrote a blog post, um, well, co-wrote, can't take all the credit, um, over the past um, year or my virtual year abroad. And um, it was a philosophy blog post about meritocracy and how whether um, in society we do tend to say people deserve something whether it's financial or something because they've worked hard and they deserve it but this blog post very short it's only like a four minute read unpacks how actually in order for us as individuals to achieve something we are like inherently dependent on other people to actually achieve something so I thought that was pretty interesting to write and uh, it does kind of challenge um, the normal way of thinking and yeah so if anyone be interested in reading that you can that sounds amazing. I'll put a link to it up in the show notes. So yeah, thank you again. Perfect. This has been an absolutely excellent time. And thank you everyone for listening. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Today's episode of Who Came Before was written and performed by Lauren Barnes with theme music by Brian Lund. It was produced and edited by Amy Winder for Wakefield Litfest and funded by the Horbury Commonlands Trust. To find out more about Wakefield Litfest, find us on Twitter at WakeyLitfest or on Instagram at WakefieldLitfest or search for us on Facebook. Thank you again for listening.